It's time for Talking Tauntauns! Your Star Wars source at AIPTcomics.com Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talking Tauntauns. I am Jim Lahane and with me, as always, is Nicole Herview. It me, hello. How are you I doing, Nicole? I'm <laughs> very excited right now. That's how I'm doing. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Trying to figure out audio issues, which is so much fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> my computer just decided to like not work. My I can no longer record on my laptop because it's officially too old. It won't take an update from Audacity. It won't take a software update. And now it won't re-download the old versions of Audacity. So it's useless for me right now. <laughs> um, so I had to figure out you my actual computer. You are dead to me. I know. <laughs> um, no, but I've figured out my my big honking iMac, and uh, it seems to be working well right now. So that's good. Mm-hmm. We'll see <laughs> how well this mm-hmm. works once uh, once once we put it into uh, edit mode. Yeah, exactly. All right, but we have a. Special interview today. Uh, we have Claudia Gray <laughs> coming on the episode. Yeah, you heard that right. We have Claudia Gray coming on this episode. What the fudge, man? <laughs> what 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 on earth? So we're super excited to get there. We had one piece of news that we wanted to talk about before we get to the big interview. Your will freeze before you reach the first marker. They'll see you in hell. Hello, what have we here? Yeah, apparently they have released the... We knew that we were getting Vision Season 2 this year, um, but they have released the release date, uh, which is Star Wars Day, May the 4th of this year. And on top of that, we get all of the studios that they announced and all of the episodes and writers or directors of all those episodes. Um, all the episode titles, I mean. And so they gave us a lot of information. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do uh, this year because um, unlike the first season, which was centered on Japanese companies, these companies come from across the globe. So to give a quick rundown, we have El Guri... I, I will butcher some of these names and i apologize um el guriri from spain cartoon saloon from ireland punk robot from chile chile we'll go with chile chile uh ardman from the uk we love ardman ardman is great ardman does wallace and gromit i love ardman excellent we got studio mirror from south korea yeah they did um the legend of korra Oh, I like I love the Legend yeah. of Korra. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Studio Studio La Cachette from France, eighty eight pictures from India, De Art Chatiho, Chatiho. Right, there we go. Mm-hmm. I'm De Art Chatiho from Japan. You got it. Um, love and that. Triggerfish from South Africa. I'm excited. Like I didn't even fully process Ardman. I, like until you just said it and I was like wait a minute I know what that is um, and especially knowing it's from the UK I'm like oh yeah it's Wallace and freaking Gromit and Shaun the Sheep and like it's just really good stuff so that's going to be a kind of a cool medium to see tackle Star Wars you know what I mean like that's going to be really cool yeah I know they consider these 
non-canon typically that they don't have mm. to fit in but i feel like at least with the first season most of the shorts fit into canon because you don't yeah. want something so outside of canon that it's going to be blatantly obvious that it doesn't fit in here so i feel like the, they right. purposely tried to make the story so it can fit into canon even though technically it doesn't have to right like it's canon adjacent like it happened, but it happened over there, so you don't need to worry about it. But it like mm-hmm. it happened though, you know, or at least it feels like what could have been, what could have happened. Like I don't know, it it just feels very like I said, canon adjacent. Yeah, so I I think um, I'm very excited about that. I think I think it'll yeah. be cool. That's gonna be dope. I'm happy we're getting another season. It's cool that they're pulling in like so many different kinds of studios and from all over the world. I think that is gonna give a lot of life to this season i mean i love vision season one no complaints like all great but i think it is a natural evolution to be like let's bring in stuff from all over the world i think that's awesome let's bring in more global influence that way you can see more of the the different cultural impacts yeah and see how Mm -hmm. the different how one star wars influenced the the art and the culture and how the culture is now going to influence star wars yeah yeah I'm interested to see what, like, time periods they tackle and, like, what kind of storylines we get and, like, all of that interesting stuff. It's it's just cool. It's a cool place to be able to tell, like, a new type of Star Wars story. Yeah. I'm, uh, I can't wait. But I think uh, I think we can keep the people uh, waiting no longer. And so I think it's time for our interview. <laughs> We would be honored if you would join us. All right. And joining us today is multiple Star Wars author who has released many of the um, favorite in the new Star Wars canon since uh, Disney has rebooted from Legends. Um, in one of my favorite Star Wars authors, it is Miss Claudia Gray. Hi there. Hi, how are you doing today? I am super sleepy. I had to take my husband to the airport. Uh, what seemed really early to me, a person who works at home, what probably was not that early uh, in the gra- in the grand scheme of things. But um, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm like, oh, I need to get up at such time, then I'm going to really worry about it if it's not the yeah. usual thing. So, of course, a uh, you know, worried a great deal over nothing. And that was a lot of talk to just say, I'm sleepy, but fine. How are you? <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I, I just, understand uh, that. It's though. my own fault. <laughs> yeah. When I set my alarm clock, like say I, for some reason, need to get up at four in the morning and you mm-hmm. have to get up at that early. You get uh-huh. up at one, you get up at two, you get up at three, <laughs> like every Especially- hour. Yeah, especially if it's if an airport's involved, then it's like, okay, high stakes. Like, we gotta actually get up. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And you're always convinced, like, this will be the day that there's the traffic problem or the car problem. At least I worry about this sort of thing. You know, my husband slept like a rock. So (laughs) it happens, whatever. (laughs) All right. Well, we have some questions for you. Ask these questions. Fantastic. 
All right. Your first work in the Star Wars universe was 2015's Lost Stars. How did you end up getting involved with Lucasfilm in the first place? Um, you know, I've been writing my own young adult uh, sci-fi and fantasy for a while at that point. Um, but, I mean, I first began writing. I never took you know, writing courses in college or anything like that, but I wrote a lot of fan fiction. I wrote a ton, a ton, a ton of fan fiction, literal millions of words. And um, I never thought that that was going to play into my career in any way whatsoever. But uh, there was actually an editor at Lucasfilm who had been keeping a track of my whole career, but that I had met on Alt TV X-Files Creative back in 1995. Um now, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I know her, I'm going to get this. But she knew how I wrote. She knew, you know, that I could write quickly. And she also knew how I handled playing in somebody else's sandbox. She had a sense of what that was going to be like. So uh, they reached out to me. I was getting gas. My agent at the time called and said, did you see that email? And I was like, what email? And she said, the email that said Star Wars. Well, hang on, you know. Uh, and we were so naive. We thought that they had mistaped the year, mistyped the year of when they wanted it turned in. That's how fast those deadlines are. Like, oh, they don't, they can't mean this year. They can't possibly mean that. They did very much mean that. But um, anyway, I thought, well, they're going to give me this outline and it'll spell everything out, but I'll still do it because Star Wars and this will be fun. And then they really just said, we want childhood friends who wind up on opposite sides of the war in the original trilogy. And we want this angry guy who's going to wind up in the empire and this idealistic girl for the rebellion. And I said, well, can I have the idealistic girl in the empire and the angry dude in the rebellion? And they said, okay. And the rest of it, I really got to generate. So, you know, I came up with an outline, they liked it and I, and I got the job. Uh um, if you, I don't know if you want to say what um, fan fiction, uh, what universes were you working other than X Files? Obviously, <laughs> it would be it would be quicker to say what I didn't write, honestly, <laughs> because I I wrote heavily for a long time. No Stargate, mm. no Stargate at any time. No Supernatural at any time. Uh, weirdly, Star Wars was never a big um, fan fiction thing for me. Uh, which I'm not really sure why exactly, but sometimes, you know, you write, fanfic writers out there will sort of know the truth of this. Sometimes you write the thing that you're not fully satisfied with because you're like, no, 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 no. I have to fix this or I have to add this or I have to do whatever. And uh, I was pretty happy uh, with my Star Wars experience. But yeah, I just, I wrote it a lot and I cared about trying to actually make it good and then to make it better. And that was, you know, I used to think, how do people ever write novels? I could not wrap my head around that. I'm like, there's so much. How did you ever? And then I had my first novel length idea and was like, oh, that's what that feels like, which was actually a really big step in terms of my getting ready to write my own fiction. I just had to know kind of like what that feels like. That's when you have an actual story together. Uh, I often say one of the things that really trips up aspiring writers and even plenty of writers into their careers is, do you have a premise or a plot? If you think you have a plot and you only have a premise, 
that can really hurt. Uh, but I kind of feel like working with fanfic really taught me, like, no, you've got a plot here that feels like about 90,000 words. That's yeah. cool. That's yeah. really cool to hear as well, because I... I'm a writer as well. And I started the first thing I ever wrote was Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, there aren't enough women in the story. So I'm going to put one in there and I put mm -hmm. a woman in the fellowship. And that's the first thing I did. So that's, that's always nice to hear that there's other people who thought that way and then became extremely successful. So that's super cool. Uh, it's, right. it was a lot of fun. I mean, I kind of miss it to tell you the truth, but uh, I am kept busy enough writing now. So Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Would you write more fan fiction if you could? Maybe someday. If there's something that I love enough and yet feel vaguely dissatisfied by. Mm. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, probably, you know, way, way down the line. I, I mean, I'm a fangirl. I'm, I'm a nerd. That, that is my fundamental role. And it is still very, very weird for me sometimes to be like, like, oh, you're not actually, you don't actually get to take part in that space in the same way. I tried to. And up until Star Wars, I could do. But after Star Wars, then it became too much of a thing. Like I could be like, oh, I didn't like this episode because the people were like, well, you know, you're throwing your weight around or something where it, I was like, I thought I was just yapping on, on Twitter. Like, the idiot mm. that I am, you know, um, it, it, it's a thing. And I was like, oh, I actually have to step back from this. Um, to get me wrong, I love what I do. I am so hugely grateful to do it, but I, I don't get to just be super nerdy in the same way exactly anymore. So, you know, maybe, you know, years down the line, if things have changed, maybe I'll get to come back in and argue vehemently about the new season versus the old season or whatever again i fully understand that you get like yeah. like once somebody is kind of like say ryan johnson said something um not even negative but criticized something on tv all of a sudden it would be like a huge thing on the internet mm -hmm. like, it's a headline yeah, yeah that's, a headline. that's a headline yeah i mean the reason that i actually personally quit doing my twitter it gets updated now but by my assistant but was because I would just be like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, they did this with Chewbacca or something like that. And somebody would be like, Lucasfilm source reveals Chewbacca. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm not a Lucasfilm source. But there's so many websites and YouTube channels and this and that that are just desperate for content all the time that they'll seize on things like this. And, you know, it happens one time too many and you and you just go, yeah, I can't mouth off about this anymore. Uh, yeah. Like it, it burned me inside not to be able to gush over Andor nonstop while that was running, uh, because oh my god, how good was that? Uh, I, I I saw that you had posted excellent. on Instagram that you're going to do like a Patreon about Andor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I loved that show so much. I mean, just as a show, as Star Wars, um, and as a person who works creatively in with other people's intellectual property, like I almost feel like it is a game changer in terms of the kind of story you can tell with somebody else's intellectual property, uh, because that was it was just so astonishingly 
astonishingly good. And I've rewatched it several times and more and more things become apparent to me each time I watch it. I realize like how layered this is, how subtle some of the, the little uh, setups and payoffs are like one mm-hmm. that took me several times to notice. Sorry. Now I'm just talking like a fangirl again, because no, I, you are, like, I totally love it. In a way, <laughs> Welcome. It. Um, you know, the night before spoilers for Andor listeners um, <laughs> that came out four months ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the, the night before the, the eye of Aldani, you know, when mm-hmm. the next morning Nimick says, I don't understand. I, I have my faith to sustain me and I can't sleep. You sleep like a stone, you know, and or slept fine. All right. Then when you see the night before the riot in one way out, when everybody breaks out Andor's lying there awake, he hasn't been mm-hmm. asleep. He cares about somebody else mm. besides himself. And he's that has changed. I was like, that is so beautifully done. It doesn't call any attention to itself, but there it is. Uh, And there's a lot of stuff in there like that. Um, But anyway, that was really inspiring. I would have loved to get more about that. I feel like there was a question I was supposed to answer somewhere in there. Um. No, I don't think so. I think (laughs) (laughs) this is sleep deprivation babbling with Claudia Gray. No, I, I love it. <laughs> Live for we, it. No. That, that's really like our entire podcast is really we just like to geek out we about Star rant. Wars with people. That's uh, yeah. it's great. We get very excited very quickly. Mm. But I know Jim does have a there is a second question. In I here. do. We, we <laughs> can go on <laughs> yeah. to our actual second <laughs> yeah. question. OK, yeah, yeah. question two. <laughs> All right. You've worked in time periods across the entire Star Wars timeline from the High Republic's Into the Dark and Fallen Star in the prequel trilogy with Master and Apprentice, in the OT with Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and Lost Stars, to the sequel trilogy, or just before the sequel trilogy with Bloodline, is there a time period that you like working in more than the others or one that you would prefer to work in if you were given the options? I mean, I enjoy being able to do all of that. Uh, It's nice to jump around. I'm interested in different things in all of these time periods and others. I have explained to uh, to Lucasfilm Publishing that, you know, if and when, because I personally believe, again, I'm not a Lucasfilm source, but I just personally believe we're going to see something with Knights of the Old Republic again eventually. And I've explained that if anybody else writes the YA novel that is the backstory of Mission and Zalbar, and it is not me, there's going to be blood. (laughs) I want to go back. I want to go back the 10,000 years and dig into those characters. I love that game so much. That that's probably my most favorite star Wars game because it came out at the perfect time. And like the twists and turns in it, when I got to the end, I'm my mind, I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Well, sorry about that little thing there, but, um, yeah, I mean, I love I love the fact that there's all this stuff in there that's just, you know, even, you know, you have to stop and solve a murder mystery at one point. You have to do all these, the, the side quests are, are highly varied, but I, I love the characters so much. I love how differently um, I get to experience that with each playthrough. Uh, my favorite thing to do is never once to take Candorous on a mission 
but every single time after I come back, I'm like, Candace, tell me one of your stories. And he has a ton of them <laughs> and he'll just tell another story. And he'll be like, come back when you want something done right. And that's just all I do with him the entire game. Um, it amuses me anyway. Yeah, just to, to keep them on a shelf. It's like, you go do your own things. <laughs> yeah, Candace for the anecdotes. <laughs> but anyway, so I would like to write in all the time periods. Uh, I, I would not want to be confined. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. I was going to ask um, if there was a sandbox that you haven't, you know, played in yet or a character that you want to explore. I clearly nice of the Old Republic, but is there anything else or anyone else that you haven't written yet that you're like itching to like pull into a story or, you know, dedicate a whole story to? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to write Ray at some point. Um, I'd really... You know, I've actually asked a couple times to write Lando and they never come to me, but I just, I've always loved Lando Calrissian. Um, Even when I was a kid, that was like my favorite action figure. And my brother traded it at recess for like a Hoth Ranger or something. Um, That's rude. I still bring it up sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) You remember that time? um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was not his figure to trade. Um, that would be really interesting. I'd love to write Qui-Gon again sometime. Uh, I think that that would be uh, really enjoyable to do. And um, I mean, obviously at this point, if there were going to be any writing done around Andor, I would you know, plead and, and weep to get a chance to do that. But I don't know that that's going to need anything else. You know, it's it's so beautifully done. Uh, oh, what is her name? I'm blanking out on her name. Who is the mechanic on Tatooine? Amy Sedaris. Oh, in The Mandalorian? Yeah. My, something with an M. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember her name either, but I know exactly who you're talking about. She's lovely. She'd be, she would be hilarious and great to write. Yeah. Yeah, totally. She's definitely one of those characters for sure. Mm-hmm. And um. I'm so happy you brought up Qui-Gon because Master and Apprentice, I've said this a lot on the show, so there, it's no secret. My favorite Star Wars book, one of my favorite books of all time. So I, wow, I just have thank to you. thank you for that because it's incredible. I'm also a prequel girly, so like there's mm-hmm. that's part of it. Um, but with that, like that relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan is so ridiculously rich and there's so much going on and you added so much to it as well. Um, is there a part of like the Phantom Menace that when you see it, you go, there they are. That encompasses their relationship. That's it. Like, that's the vibe that I need to hang on to the whole time. Or or it, does it not work like that, you know? It's not one moment, but I think I think it, it says so much that to an extent, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon don't agree on what to do in a whole lot of The Phantom Menace. Yeah. And then there's that final scene that is just so tender and, and loving and in some ways it gives the lie to the whole idea of jedi not forming attachments it's like of course a master and a padawan form an attachment what the hell um and i mean both the fact that that is sort of this paradox absolutely baked in uh to the jedi order as it's understood in that era i guess um but yeah, that I mean, that's sort of the main thing that they are able to disagree on several points. And yet that bond is 100% there and very vital and very, very real. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, uh, Peli Mato 
is uh, Amy yes. Sarah's, uh Well character. done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the power of Google right there. Good yeah, job, Jim. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's <laughs> her that's little droids. And yeah, she won me over forever when the, you know, the little jaw was like, you know, talking to her. She's like, no, I'm, I'm working on myself right now. I used to yeah. date a Jawa. Or it was like, yeah. Yeah. The other jaw was like, do I have a chance? And she's like, not right now. It's, it's, yeah. It's about me. I need to find <laughs> you know? Love um, that for her. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have several novels set with characters that we know fairly well, having seen them in the mm-hmm. movies and across various TV series. Do you have a method for getting into the characters' heads so that they feel authentic? Ooh. Um, I mean, you, you go back to the source if you don't feel like you have it there already. Um you know, with Princess Leia, I'd already done the groundwork by spending my entire life being a Star Wars fan, asking myself, like, what would Princess Leia do? You know, and just had no idea that was actually going to be a useful activity. You know, <laughs> it was still pretty late in the game. Um, you know, with the High Republic characters, that was always different because we were creating the canon as we went. And you know, we had to touch base with each other and things change from plans because you know, we would all check out each other's outlines and talk to each other through things. But sometimes you get in and you're working with something and it develops maybe in a slightly different way than you had imagined. So uh, we would check base with each other. Like, do you think it would be like this? Do you think it would be like that? You know, um, uh, you know, Kevin Scott and I did a lot of talking about where Stellan Gios and Avar Chris would be sort of at the end of phase one of the High Republic. Um, you know, they they have one final conversation with each other. And, you know, we really had to figure out like, how does that go? Like what's going on with each of them? What does each one of them think that this is? Because they're very much not in the same headspace at that point. Spoilers for uh, the High Republic. Sorry, I didn't say that one in time. Um, other times, you know, with characters you create, uh, I mean, I explained before, and most people just read it and know with Leox Jossie, I knew I wanted uh, a scoundrel character who wasn't just going to be Han Solo warmed over. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, what, what's got some of that energy? And then I thought of Matthew McConaughey sort of back in the naked bongo playing era of Matthew McConaughey in the 90s. And I was like, that's perfect because I was like, that's great scoundrelly energy and it is not Han Solo at all. So, um, you know, so that was just sort of finding somebody in, in real life that I was like, okay, I can tap into some of that energy and you take that vein and then you get to build the character from there. I love how I, I believe it, Mark Thompson, who does the audio books, does the voice of Matthew McConaughey, like nineties yes. McConaughey when yeah. he's like yes. doing Leoc Joxley. I'm and I had I had heard the story before that it's uh he was based on and like you can't get it out of your head once he starts yeah. going into it. You're like, this is spot on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I mean I guess we've all somehow internalized the voice of naked bongo playing Matthew McConaughey uh, <laughs> unawares <laughs> comes he's, to us all. It's my oh, self-conscience. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's all the angel on one of our shoulders. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a pillar of just my my brain at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's in there. It's core As memory. it should be. As it should be. <laughs> For real. For real. Um, we touched on this a little bit, you know, with the whole fan fiction and everything. But I was really curious while reading The Murder of Mr. Wickham. 
Okay. If writing, if writing Star Wars and like kind of playing with these characters that already exist, who we already know, and putting them in different situations, like if that kind of prepped you to write a book like that, but with Jane Austen characters, do you know what I mean? Like, am I yeah. drawing a parallel that's not there? Like, how did that kind of like prep you for writing that book? Well, no, I mean, those things do uh, to some extent spring out of the same, uh, you know, toolbox. You are working with characters that are established. You want to both embody where they've been, but feel like you're adding something when you tell the story. And luckily, I've also been a rabid Jane Austen fan for years and years. So I had that to to work with. Uh, Now, in in the case of Star Wars, Star Wars is right there going, do this, don't do that. And Jane Austen, uh, you know, not so much. But Jane Austen's fans who would comprise a really large part of the readership for the book, I knew they would do that for me. And in some ways, one thing that was a little harder was it was Star Wars in the end. If I don't know something and there's always something that I don't know, it's a very detailed world that's evolving all the time. You know, I can ask, you know, I've, I've actually really been talking about for celebration this year. I'm thinking about getting a t-shirt made up in really big letters that says Pablo would know because everybody who's ever worked on Star Wars has uttered those words at some point. Pablo would know. <laughs> Pablo Hidalgo, uh, you know, knows everything about this. And I'm just like, every single one of us winds up saying it eventually. Um, whereas with um, the Regency era, I was like, oh, well, it's the real world. You can look all of this up. And some of it is actually a little bit elusive. And sometimes historical sources don't agree about mm. who would be driving this kind of carriage, or you need to know what the rent would be on a fancy place in Bath in the year 1822 you know, how fancy, et cetera. But, but that's actually kind of hard to, to track down. And there is no Pablo or, or right. if there is, I'm sure there's probably some historian who knows all of this, but they are not on call to me. Uh, and yeah, you don't have them in your phone. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't found them yet and bribed them with things, but uh, <laughs> uh, so I think, I think the, 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 the they like tea in, 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 in the in the well. I mean, they liked tea back in the day. This person, I don't know what they might want now, but mm. Um, mm. but yeah. So sometimes it's even a little bit harder to get uh, the answers uh, for some details, and you just try to really not need that for your plot, if at all possible. But sometimes yeah. you do. Yeah, and it's like it's like even if you can't find it, those like rabid, they'll figure it out. Like oh, those, yeah. like somebody like, will yeah, know. It's like you get it's it not wrong. Like, oh well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, true story, a fic, a fan fiction that I wrote, I mean, at this point, more than 20 years ago. Mm. It was set in Egypt in like the year 1958, I think was the year. Part of it was anyway. And for some reason, I know not what, I decided that I wanted these people to be in a real hotel instead of making up a hotel in Cairo like a normal person. And so I do all this research and I find like this hotel, you know, went up in Cairo in the late 1950s. I'm like, well, my odds are pretty good there. And I use that hotel. Somebody emailed, they're like, that hotel didn't open until 1959. I'm like, 
that how did the one person who knows all about hotel construction in Cairo in the 1950s wind up reading this story? Like, you know, now I make up hotels, but <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, the, the person who knows you're wrong will find your mistake. Absolutely. Yeah. I am guilty of doing that. Um, yeah. As a paleontologist, <laughs> I, I read a friend's um, a book he wrote uh, kind of about dinosaurs. Well, actually, <laughs> you like, weren't on tap bad. already. Yeah, well, that's I like. I'm I'm surprised I wasn't. And he's like, I, I I should have asked you. I'm like, you're right. You should have asked me. Like, I would easily give up the answer. Like, <laughs> yeah. When I wrote my um, Firebird series, which is about cross dimensional travel, uh, one of the universes that the heroine goes to is set in Russia. Uh, and another is on a deep oceanography station. And it's really great in that situation to have a good friend who's a Russian oceanographer. Uh, and I do. Oh, yeah. Her name is Marina, wonderfully enough. But uh, <laughs> you know, she'd be like, okay, I need some words like for endearments in Russia. And I also need to know about how storm currents are perceived at what depths. <laughs> you know, I get these long emails back like, okay. Thank you, Marina. Yeah. It's great to have good like, sources. <laughs> yeah. They, don't, they really don't tell you how much research goes into being a writer. And it, like the joke is obviously like if the FBI got my search like history, I, it, I'd be in trouble. Like it's yeah. bad. It's it's wild that like I feel like 90 percent of it is research and 10 percent is actually sitting down and writing the thing. Mm-hmm. But like it's, it's just wild. It's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. If only every subject had Pablo. Yeah. <laughs> Pablo. I, I feel like um <laughs> along with your shirt you could have the uh, the placards at celebration that says uh claudia gray not a lucasfilm source right <laughs> i'm not a lucasfilm source i could get one <laughs> like that that would be okay. that would also be a good one to have yes you're right good idea that's funny all right, so tell me about the High Republic Writers Room. It seems like an absolutely wonderful experience and a lovely group to work with. We've had Daniel Jose Older and Justine Ireland on the show, and they both are absolutely fantastic people. Um, I love talking mm-hmm. to both of them. So like, how was that experience as a whole? Uh, that has been great, and that has actually been my favorite part of the High Republic. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm really, really glad that we written these books and that people are responding to them but the fact that we all really made friends during that experience and that extends to more than the high republic now you know when i'm considering you know doing graphic novels you know to be able to turn to somebody like charles soul you know that is a real privilege uh when i was agent shopping a couple of years ago it was justina who sort of pointing me in the direction of my current agent. Um, you know, it's it's work where you're not with your coworkers a whole lot. Uh, and actually have coworkers be able to talk about, oh, okay, we're doing it like this. You know, is is that a strange thing to do? What have you results have you gotten with this kind of promotion or that? Um, I know that that may not be exactly where you're going with that question, but, uh, but it has really been great to make friends and, you know, we got to kick it off in high style at Skywalker ranch, which was awesome. But, uh, you know, a lot of it now is just us on the slack going, you know, look at this Yoda nutcracker I found. 
whatever. So, so your Slack is it. exactly like our Slack. It's just, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I've, uh, I've been reading the Star Wars books for uh, almost 30 years at this point. And almost every Star Wars author that I've met has been absolutely like a wonderful person. Like you, you rarely get the bad eggs. I think I, Lucasfilm uh-huh. does a fantastic job, but like um, pre-screening and everything. And if they are a bad egg, I don't think they last very long in the in the process. So it's a every every uh, Star Wars author I I have uh, had wonderful interactions with. So I uh, you know I've had really great experiences with people too. I think probably if you can't play well with others, you don't get very far um, in doing that. But um, I, I will say uh, to bring it also yet again back to the fanfic thing. One time on a fan fiction exchange before either of us wrote Star Wars, a fanfic gift exchange, if you're unfamiliar with it, is you throw blurbs out there and it gets matched up by an algorithm. And so you have a fan fiction written for you by some person you didn't know and you get a fan fiction, whatever. Anyway, I matched with E.K. Johnston before either oh. of us were Star Wars writers. That's hilarious. Yes. That's really cool. Yes. I, I love I love her uh, I love her novels as well. Uh, the the yeah. the Padme series is some some of the funnest uh, books out there. Oh <laughs> yes, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, we have good times. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in April. Sorry yeah. that I that I'm not uh, traveling across the pond. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be in London like two weeks after that. I was like, I'm gonna wait. <laughs> like, I love that, but I'm going for work, and it's anyway. I won't be there, and I'm very sad about it. But that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, that'll I'm assuming at this point they still haven't absolutely confirmed that we're going, but I I, th- I think it's much likelier than not. So, yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine as much. Um, but yeah, to kind of to kind of back up and like talk a little bit more, not about a specific work, but I'm always interested in a writer's process. Um, Whether you outline, whether you write everything in order, or you just like, oh, this scene is really like alive to me right now. And I got to get it out, even though it's like the end of the book. Like, how kind of do you approach something? Like you were saying, writing a novel is intimidating as, as anything. And I would assume with like Star Wars, they need an outline. But if you're writing something that's not, excuse me, for a property that already exists kind of how do you approach that and how do you do the two things differently uh i am still an outliner regardless of what i'm doing Mm. um i don't consider outlining to be something that is separate from the writing process it is the writing process it's more just me working out the bigger beats and the main things about the world before I start getting in and tinkering with like, well, that's a chapter and that's a scene, you know, before, and that comes before I get in and actually work out the prose and, and the dialogue, at least the majority of it. Um, different people do it in different ways. And the only one you shouldn't trust is anybody who tells you there's only one right way, whatever helps any particular writer get words on the page regularly and get, make progress on their projects that works great, you know, do it. For me, I need to know where I'm going. I I need to feel like, okay, yes, I'm doing this for a reason. And it's, it's really interesting. Actually, last weekend, I was talking with another mystery writer at um, American Library Association conference. And she is a pantser, no outlines, just dives in. 
but it was interesting because she was like, well, usually around the X mark, you know, about, you know, um, somewhere between 12 and 20,000 words is when she figures out like, yes, you know, yes, I've got a book here. This is really going to work. My outlines, once they've gotten to the point that I, or, you know, side material and other things that I do, once I realize like, okay, yeah, here we are. It's also about that many words. So I don't know, maybe even though we go about it in different ways, there's uh, that sort of the quorum amount that you need to be like, mm. okay, all right, we definitely have a book here. So um, yeah, so I'm always outlining, um, you know, I used to be, you know, like, oh, I need to have this music playing or this going. And at this point in my career, like you can almost have me in the overhead compartment of the plane and I can tie <laughs> I can do it. Um, um, but, you know, uh, I get to write full time, which is a huge privilege that I am tremendously grateful for. I do have an office at home uh, that I like to tuck up into. And my little dog lies down on the back of the sofa and looks out the window so that she can be angry that other dogs exist uh, every once in a while. And, um, I actually have a treadmill in there. And while I can't really write right on the treadmill, I can mm. edit. So uh, <laughs> sometimes I do edits on that. I also have a standing desk if I want to do that. Um, I found that there's no one position that is better for my back than changing position every couple hours is. Um, uh, and that is one of the only physical things involved in being a writer is, you know, your back and potentially carpal tunnel. Other than that, you ought to be good, but you got to watch those two things. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I yeah. guess I get the majority of my work done in the afternoons. I am not a great morning person, never have been, uh, probably not gonna be. Um, I mean, I, I get up, but I do the things first because there's so much stuff to do with writing that isn't writing that you know so I had way more time to write before I became a writer somehow but uh you know it's like oh we need back of book copy for this uh uh but you know the outline is due for that oh look over the art for these graphic novel pages um check on the travel plans for this event that you're going to go do at whatever time like I try to take care of as much of that kind of stuff uh in the mm -hmm. mornings as I can and then I'll work in the afternoons uh until the early evening generally I try to cut at the evenings just because it's better to give yourself some rest and interact with the other people in your home and <laughs> uh I mean, you come back fresher and you do better, but every once in a while when deadlines emerge, I may, you know, have to go squirrel myself back in my office for another few hours of the evening. Sure. Is your husband a morning person if you're a, a, a night person? More than I am, but not to some degree where like, God forbid, he would be getting up at 5 a.m. on an on-airport day. You know, none of that. We, we, I, we wouldn't have gotten this far. That's yeah, it. right. My, my exactly. wife are so opposite. We almost meet. Um, like <laughs> I'll go to bed at midnight. She wakes up at four thirty. Oh, oh, honey, I don't know how you do that, but God bless. <laughs> you know, like, my goodness gracious. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I was thinking specifically about Lost Stars because okay. I mean, who isn't always thinking about Lost Stars? Um, but I mean, you have there's a version of it that's a novel and a version that's like graphic novel manga. 
what's kind of the difference? How do you approach those two mediums differently? Aside from like, of course, thinking about the art in detail, but like, do you see them as different, you know, approaches or yeah, kind of what, what is the difference if there is any, you know? Well, I mean, I had zero involvement with the manga, except for them telling me like, hey, there's going to be a manga. There's one. Great. Um, I will say, you know, I did my first graphic novels for DC, uh, the House of L trilogy, the final volume of which I believe is out on Tuesday. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was a big learning experience. And I knew that it would be. But, you know, I attended the classes and I read the books. But it is one thing to know you will tell the story through the images. And it is another thing for your creative imagination to begin working in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a little bit like when you're learning a foreign language, you can sit there and look at it on the page, but it's going to be a little bit longer before you can actually say a sentence that means what you want it to mean and have it naturally come out of you that way. And um, so it was very different. And if I'd been, either adapting Lost Stars for manga, or if I'd been thinking about it, like if it had been commissioned as a graphic novel to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, it would have involved some things that were fundamentally very different. Um, that said, Star Wars in particular, I always, when I'm writing, try to think of it in cinematic ways because, you know, it's a cinematic universe first. Um And one of the ways you create the feeling of Star Wars is through some of the scene setting, et cetera, that is going to make people envision this stuff that they would have seen in a movie or in a television show. Um, I even try, not all the time, but at least once or twice in a book, I try to have sort of an opening of a scene or a sequence that involves some vehicle going across, you know, a spacecape or a landscape or something like the swipe, you know, that's the swipe mm-hmm. shot that you'd have uh, something like that. Uh, I have no idea whether that actually affects readers the way that I hope that it does, but that's sort of my hope is that it's going to start conjuring these images that remind you of star Wars and get you in the mood for that. Sounds yeah. On, on a side note, like lost stars is like one of my favorite star Wars books um, in general. And I feel like it, I always, when somebody asks about like, I want to read a Star Wars book, what can I do? Lost Stars is like the perfect book because you don't need to know anything other than the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can just kind of go in. It's Romeo and Juliet in the Star Wars universe. And like, like by the time you're graduating high school, almost everybody's read Romeo and Juliet, at least in um, America, they have. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I, I find it kind of... Um, like a perfect entry point for the the Star Wars literature. Yeah, that that book has really, uh, it's maintained a a presence. People still talk to me about it a lot, which is amazing to me because, I mean, it's eight years old now, which is is crazy to think about. Um, I've always been really grateful for the fact that even though I too have been reading Star Wars books for, you know, more than 30 years, actually, like, you know, I was at Walden Books to buy the Tim Zahn trilogy new, you know, at the mall back in the day. Um, but I did not understand how many people read Star Wars books. I just didn't get it. I didn't fully get it. And so I wrote that first one with just no sense that I had to please anyone but myself. <laughs> it was just like, this Sometimes is so Sometimes that's fun. the best way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it was great. And, you know, and 
I mean, the readers are fantastic and I've had a really wonderful experience and it's not like, oh, everything was so harsh or whatever with later books, but you can't recapture that exact carefree quality again. It was, it was a really, really enjoyable experience working on that, getting to do that. I know that's one because that deadline was tight. (laughs) I know that's one of those that people, um, they want a sequel to. Um, or at least see the, 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 those characters kind of what happens to them after the end of uh, at the end of the book. I mean, I've thought about it, you know, uh, you know, from your lips to Lucasfilm's ears, one would hope. But, um, you know, maybe someday, maybe I feel like eventually it would happen, but it has to line up with something they'd want to do, because like. When I first was writing for them, right after Lost Stars, they're like, what else do you want to do? One of the very first things I said was like, I want to write Qui-Gon. And they're like, really? And I was like, yes, really. And they kept on not having me write Qui-Gon. And I was like, you know, what is this? What is this wrongness? And then the anniversary of the Phantom Menace rolled around. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, of course, that was when I was going to get to write. Quite That's what I was thinking. I'm like putting in timeline. I'm like, wait, Master and Apprentice wasn't right after Lost Stars. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, no, they they actually came to me with Bloodline very, very shortly after. And I was so busy. I remember they were just like, we were wanting you to work on something else for the summer. And I was like, I can't do it. I physically can't do it. And they're like, it's Princess Leia. Damn it. (laughs) Damn it. You got me. Yeah. That's how, you, right. that's how you hook Claudia Gray and we all know now. <laughs> yes. All um, right. Last and not least, Geode. Geode. I'd be remiss if I did not mention Geode. Anybody who listens to the show knows that uh, that, that um, rocks are my friends. Uh, <laughs> Geode is everyone's friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a geologist, he's obviously my favorite character, but he's also very cleverly written. I love the way he's written. Um, everybody talks around him as if they're interacting with him, but he mm-hmm. never interacts back. We never see him move. He does move, but we never see him move. Um, and he like everyone knows what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And so is there a special process that you go through with working with such a character as Geode that's different than the other characters? Um, not the overall process. I mean, you know, I mean, clearly he's a comic character. He's not perceived as such, you know, he, he's serious within universe. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but I mean, the trick of it is, and it's a, the sort of thing that I, I'm not sure wouldn't, would work in a purely visual medium because the, the humor of it comes from the fact that there are so many tropes and cliches and phrases, et cetera, that do, you know, um, indirectly show how somebody is reacting or responding or uh, we all use them all the time. Uh, I got to speak with the French translator for the High Republic books and she was talking about how fun and how challenging it was because she can't just literally translate it. She has to find the phrases in French mm-hmm. that people use Uh you know, to, to have the same effect. So, um, you know, it's playing with that. And there's so much more of that, you know, at the beginning, I was like, 
how much of this will I even be able to do? But there's so much of it. There's so many very conventional workarounds that we have, um, either that we're used to seeing in prose or that we say when we're not going to quote somebody directly or or whatever, uh, that you get to employ with the geode so that he gets to be fully engaged with the emotional life of all the characters and everything that's going on while you never see him move and you never hear him speak. That's it. I think you have enough of the other characters who are quote in on the joke mm-hmm. that it works. And then you also have the characters who are not in the, on the joke. And then you'll see some of them slowly kind of move over to the, in, in the joke. They're like, wait a second. Yeah. I, th- I, I think I understand this now. <laughs> yeah. That was actually one of the things that I liked in into the dark because first reef is just like, is this a joke? You know, this, this is a rock. This is a rock. But at the very end, which, you know, things have happened, but also Reef has, you know, he he has a huge character arc in that book of becoming more mature and taking on more responsibility and dealing with grief and whatever. And his recognition of Geode at the end, it's also a sign, you know, Reef has evolved within the force. You know, he's able to understand the energy of this living being in a way that he was not able to before. I think yeah. that's that. That's all I got. It. We don't want to um, yeah, take too much of your wanna, time. I'll... Of course, ask what you got coming up. If there's anything you want to talk about, we did see that you you were talking about a haunted mansion book online, and I don't know if you saw, but yeah. I'm obsessed. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited about that. I've got a haunted mansion wall back here, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about that and also what else you would want to talk about that's coming up um, yeah. down the pipeline for you. Yeah, I don't actually have a Star Wars book this year, um, mm. a comic, Quest of the Jedi, for Phase 2 of the High Republic, mostly because as much as I've enjoyed the High Republic, it it is time-consuming. And I, yeah. after Phase 1, I was like, I got to take a short break from this. Like, I, there are other things that I need to do. <laughs> and luckily, they were very happy about that. You know, I will be back to write a novel for Phase 3, so... Um, well, but luckily, the, the schedule kind of works with that. Is that the yeah, it, phase it two is so far offset from phase one that you can do that? Yeah, it is. It, it, it's a natural kind of stepping out and stepping in point. So I got lucky there. Um, well, like I said, Tuesday, the final book in the House of L graphic novel trilogy comes out, The Treacherous Hope. Uh, then in May, and I cannot remember the exact date anymore, uh, my second mystery novel set in the Jane Austen world comes out called The Late Mrs. Willoughby, uh, the sequel to The Murder of Mr. Wickham. And then in September, we do have the Haunted Mansion YA novel, which is called Storm and Shade. Uh, it's set in New Orleans, where I live somehow, even though I've lived here off and on for 20 years altogether. Uh, this is the first thing I've written said in New Orleans. So I'm excited to do that. And I'm talking about it a lot because I'm not sure what else I'm allowed to tell you. But um, it did it did let me correct a couple of things because like one of the like think like middle grade books about the Haunted Mansion that was in New Orleans, they had something where it was like, oh, and they found it in a hilly part of town. And I was like, <laughs> It's like where this is the river basin, people. <laughs> Remember, you know, we all know, unfortunately, you pour water on it, it's a bowl. 
It's about yeah. there is no hilly area of town. None of those. Yeah. So it was fun yeah. to get to write a story that actually had some local flavor. Yeah, so. I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. I'm also patiently waiting for a Haunted Mansion book set in the Disney World Mansion, which is yes, in like, yes. you know, the Liberty, Liberty that, Square. That's a New England Orleans Square. one, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I'm like, I'll just patiently wait for that. But I oh, listen, it's the original. It's a classic. I love New Orleans Square, like all of that. Oh, yeah. like, and it's great because, park, you know, yeah. I think I can say this because it's, I mean, it's just obvious. Unlike Star Wars with the Haunted Mansion, they don't want there to ever be one canon. Right. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to have all your questions answered about the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. You know, there's There are different versions at different parks. There are supposed to be different stories and different legends. Uh, so, uh, you know, instead of having to hew to exactly one Bible, you just, you know, I got to go on the ride and, you know, and just soak it up and be like, what's interesting in that ride? Use it. Yeah, absolutely. It, I love that ride because it truly feels like if you were to like get out of the doom buggy and open a door, there's a full hallway down there that no one has ever seen and no one will ever see again. And there's a story yeah. there. Like that's what's so fascinating about that ride. And it definitely lends itself to like a bunch of different books talking about a bunch of different things that maybe all contradict each other. Anyway, I could talk about that but for a long time, but it's very exciting. Make sure that the stories contradicted each other. Exactly. They, they do that yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, the, the late Mrs. Willoughby um, <laughs> is May 16th. Thank you. Jim, master of Google. <laughs> we love that. Amazon. That's, Amazon does all. <laughs> Available for pre-order now. We love it. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Uh, is there anything else um, where people can follow you? Um, yeah, social media is all kind of twisty bendy right now, isn't it? Um <laughs> I have uh, my website, which is badly in need of updating, but you can follow my social media there. The only ones I really keep up myself are Instagram and Tumblr for the 12 of us still on that, which is super fun. Uh, But it's the best one because nobody can figure out how to make money on it. So you just be a dork undisturbed, which I love. Um, I have a quarterly newsletter that uh, you can sign up for for absolutely free. Uh, I have a Patreon with right now a very select membership. So, uh, but those, you know, even if you just follow Twitter, Sarah will keep that posted with where I'm going to be, when my releases are, stuff like that. Wonderful. All right. Well, well thank, thank you so you much. much. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. So much really fun. fun. And with that, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Tauntauns. You can email us, talkingtauntauns at aiptcomics.com. You can join our Patreon through AIPT Comics and join us on Discord. You can leave us a five-star review or review anywhere that fine podcasts are delivered to you whenever. And with that, we're actually taking a break off next week for personal stuff so we will see you again in two weeks